All right, back to podcast, Sunday evening podcast, and I uh, <clears throat> hope everyone is doing well, and you've had a good day in the Lord, homecoming Sunday, and um, I am thankful for it, the good day that God has blessed us with, and um, this is the day that he has made, and uh, we will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord's good to us. And uh, I'm thankful, grateful for all of his blessings uh, to us and uh, just how how good he's been to us and our church, the people that make it up. And um, I love him. Don't forget, we've got uh, we've got in-person Bible study on Wednesday night. <clears throat> Excuse me, in-person Bible study on Wednesday night and um, be back in the book of Genesis uh, transitioning from Abraham into Isaac. Well, actually, we're going to cover the Abraham and Isaac uh, sacrifice. What a beautiful story and account that is. One of my favorites in all the Bible. So we'll be in that on uh, on Wednesday night, Genesis, uh, around Genesis 22. So we're making our way through Genesis pretty good. Let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. And uh, this is a little uh, backtrack and review of what we did last time or covered last time. The sum um, is the total, okay? The total of, of everything that he said, everything that they've spoken about, this is the sum. It's all added up. So... What we've covered until now is how much better Jesus is than the old covenant, how much better Jesus is than the law, than the offerings, than the sacrifices, that Jesus is is absolutely better uh, than, than anything. And how does that translate to you and I that have never been under the law, never been under another covenant? It's the fact that he's better than anything we've ever experienced in life. He is better. And that, that's the theme of, of, uh, of the book of Hebrews. And uh, the, the issue at hand, what, what we're dealing with is, is and, and what, what I want to drive home to you, and what I want to what I'm, what I'm reiterate over and over again is my objective and theme as a pastor. It's always been going back to the mountains to to you all, and it is to take the Word of God and your relationship with Him and draw you closer to Him to the degree that you're absolutely in love with Him. That's it. That's it. And if you're absolutely in love with him, that takes care of so much. And that's the theme. That's the theme of Hebrews. That's why I'm going through Hebrews. That's why we talk about Jesus, every message. We work him in and and what he's done. Sometimes it's all about him. And if it's not, we get there quick. Like Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, take your text and run to Calvary. So... The sum, the everything we've said, this is the sum, and here he goes. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty of God. 
a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, <clears throat> for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, we, we covered all of that the last time, so let's go to verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. So, as, I, as I've told you many times, we've talked about it, we've, we've preached about it. The ministry of Jesus Christ right now. He's got a ministry, just like I've got a ministry, just like you've got a ministry. The ministry of Jesus Christ right now is that he ever lives to maketh intercession for us. He prays for us. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So do you see that? What did I tell you just five minutes ago? The theme of Hebrews is. The theme of Hebrews is how much better he is. How much better Christ is. How much better he was than the covenant. And for you and I, how much better he is than our old way of life, than our old lives. Okay? Now, look in verse 7. <clears throat> for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So, he, I, I want to clear something up, and, and I, I've, I've talked about this a lot. I've heard preachers portray the law in a way that it was never intended to be for teachers. And it's, it just comes from a school of thought, a school of study. Sometimes it just comes from words being passed down and religious phrases being passed down. But have somehow typed the law, phrased the law in, in a manner that it is, it is perfect, that it had the ability to save, but that just no man could keep it, okay? No man could abide with it and abide by it. That, that's not true. That's not an accurate uh, teaching, not an accurate rendering, not an accurate portrayal. The law has and never will be perfect. The law was not intended to save. The law was, as the Bible tells us, a schoolmaster that brought men to Christ. So the law, in its very makeup, was not and is not perfect. Okay? So we, we've got to establish that. It's not as if has been portrayed that Christ give us the God give us the law and then all of a sudden man didn't do a very good job at keeping the law and so God said oh oh my I've got to adjust I've got to change my thinking I've got to now do something about the fact that these people can't keep my law 
and I'll just, I'll send my son. That's not how it worked, okay? That's not. I know it's how it's been portrayed. I know it's how it's been taught, but that's not how this, this thing worked out. Here's how, here's how it went, is the fact that God, through his, his foreordination, knew the failure of the law, or knew the, not necessarily the failure of the law, because the law did do what it was supposed to do. God knew the inability of the law. And the, the law was never intended to save. It was never intended to reconcile men back to God. The law was, an, uh, was a schoolmaster that would take a, that would show us and illustrate for us how much better Christ is, how much better Christ will and shall be than than anything else. And so that's that's what's being becoming very clear in this teaching on the covenants. The first covenant wasn't perfect, but what it the the objective is wasn't perfection but was to, for a time period, roll over men towards God until ultimately Christ would come. So, look here. Bible says here, verse 8, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So now he is turning back to the house of Israel. He's turning his attention to them in this text, and that would be very important to the Hebrew believer. Okay, now he's speaking to the house of Israel. Let's see what... God is saying here, okay? So look, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, or their mind, and write in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, or they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteous, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's beautiful. Do you see what God is doing now? Uh, let me, let me, this, this brings another topic to mind. I know it's, we're, we're kind of in going to different places, but we've got to address the text as it is. Generational curses, you know, in the Old Testament where the Bible says, I will uh, visit the sins upon the second, third generation. Um, where, and, I, and I've heard the generational curse teaching be passed on to New Testament believers. I've heard teaching like that. I've heard teaching that I'm a, I'm a drunk and I've got a curse on my family and and it's passed down from my grandpa and my great-grandpa. And people believe that. People teach that. And I guess it's possible if you allow it to be. But I want you to look and see what the Bible says. Verse 12, 
their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That would be completely new to a Jewish believer. For you see, in the Old Testament, the sins would be wiped away. The sins would be, or not wiped away, they would be covered over. They would be atoned for for a year. But they would still be there. They would still hang over the account and the head, if you please, of of the individual, of the nation, of, of Israel. They would still be present. Now, the Bible's saying that God is promising us that with this new and this living way that I have made a choice, God has made a choice to no longer remember the sins and the iniquities of all of those that would come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So, it, it doesn't mean that we didn't do them. It means that, and it doesn't even mean necessarily that he's forgotten them. It's saying that he has chosen not to remember them anymore. And that's that's beautiful to us. That's that's beautiful to me. That means something to me in regards to the fact that God made a choice concerning my sin, concerning your sin, concerning sins of, of people. And the choice was simply this. He made a choice to no longer remember our sins and our iniquities. It's not as if God failed and forgot He makes a conscientious choice to no longer remember our sins and our iniquities. That's so. That that's so beautiful. That's so. um, It's so gracious. It's so loving. It's so kind. That's what God is to you and I: gracious, loving, and kind. He's chosen not to remember our sins and our iniquities anymore. And so that's what the Hebrew writer's telling us. That's what he's encouraging us with here. So let's go a step further with this. Verse number 13, and that he saith the new covenant, so we're in in opposition to the old covenant, we've got the new covenant. He hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Then verily, the first covenant, this is chapter 9, verse 1. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So now he's he is giving us the way the old tabernacle was made. Look, he says, uh, you've got the candlestick, you've got a table, you've got a showbread, And that's the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But under the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying 
that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as at the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time when present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that would could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances opposed on them until the time of reformation. What are you saying, preacher? Okay, let me sum this up, just like the Hebrew writer started this. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, okay, the old sacrifice, the old... Uh, the old way, if you please. It was based entirely, now hear me out. If you've not heard anything I've said, if you've gotten caught up in the reading, caught up in the law aspects, caught up in the wording, stop now, come back to me, and here's what I'm saying. This is, what, this is what's relevant and practical to you and I and what we teach and believe and where we are as a people in the New Testament, in the New Testament church, okay? What he is addressing here is the Old Testament symbolism. The, the tabernacle, the temple, the Old Testament ordinances, <clears throat> the Old Testament way of doing things, the Old Testament way of, of religion is and was about symbolism, okay? The word sanctuary was a place that they went into where there were altars and incenses and sacrifices. Now, bear in mind what I taught you last week from the book of Revelation concerning those that say they are Jews and are not. Jewish people, Jewish religion, Jewish religious services love symbolism. Now stay with me. Now here's our problem. That has been passed on to New Testament Christians. A lot of people in the modern church today have failed Justin's in love with symbolism. The church building is a symbol. To some, a steeple is a symbol. An altar is a symbol. A, a communion table is a symbol. You follow me? Crosses placed everywhere, those are symbols. And can I tell you that is, I'm not, I, I'm not saying necessarily it's wrong to do, to have. It's wrong to place any of those objects as holy. Any of them. Do you know who does that? Catholics do that. Muslims do that. Jews do that. Really, Buddhists do that. Seventh Day Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses, not so much. Seventh Day Adventists, they do this. They hold objects 
and symbols as holy objects and symbols. And what the New Testament writer is trying to teach is all of those symbols, all of those sacrifices, all of the sanctuaries, all of the the trinkets, all of the gadgets, all of them, there's nothing holy about them. The holiness is on the inside of us. It's on the inside where the Spirit of God lives and dwells. And that's why we can walk into any building. That's why you say you keep going. Yes, when when God burdened me about a church, about an assembly, about a group of people, a pastorate, when, when, when I began to really pray about it, it was to see it be done and, perform, and, and, and go through it in a different way, a more pure way, a more real way than what we see the New Testament church being done today. A more New Testament way. And I don't want to offend anybody. I don't care if I do, but I don't, I'm not aiming to. Even the symbol of the cross. The old, I love the old, I love the cross. The cross is why we are here. But to symbolize it and make it completely a holy symbol is not a New Testament doctrinal teaching of the cross. The cross was electric chair. The cross was a Roman tool that was being used to put people to death. So even the cross itself was just an instrument. It was who died on the cross and the blood that was shed on the cross that we worship. Not the cross. So it's the preaching of the cross. What is the preaching of the cross? The preaching of the cross is the fact that Jesus died on it and then he was buried and then he resurrected. And so quit. What, what, what the message and the lesson is today is, is what the New Testament writer is trying to teach us is to not put our, our religious mindset in trinkets, in symbols, in buildings, in in ideas, but to have our religious spiritual mindset in a person, which is Jesus Christ, who bled, died, saved us, and is coming back. That's what the Hebrew writer's saying. So he's he's done all of this buildup, if you please. And I know it gets wordy to people, and I know people drag down and bog down, but what he's saying is this. Your your walk with God is not tied in with all of these spiritual trinkets. It's tied in with the relationship of a person, Jesus Christ. That's I'm get, I've said all of that to, to get to this next section. Look with me. Verse number 9 which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances. This is Hebrews 9, uh, 10. 
uh, carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But go to verse 11. But Christ, the next verse, but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Do you see that? Whether you meet in the venue, whether you meet in a coffee house, whether you meet in a home, it's, it's not in a building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of an heifer, sprinkling of the unclean sacrifice to purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For, watch, where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now, I'm going to get into this the next time, but a testator or a, a testament is a covenant. So where the New Testament is, or where a testament is, the only way it can come into fruition is the death of the testator. So now we've got a New Testament, a new covenant, so it, it requires the necessity of the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. What is he saying? It is not anything built on this earth. It is in Christ Jesus. Our relationship with God is tied in 100% to the man Christ Jesus and nothing else. Hence, I want you to fall deeply madly, completely dedicated, truly in love with Jesus Christ. I hope you've enjoyed Hebrews 8 and most of Hebrews 9. And then next Sunday, we'll start in 9 and go into Hebrews 10. And I hope you have a good evening. Remember Hebrews 10, I told you here the other week that if I had one message to preach to lost people, it would be from Hebrews 10. So we'll we'll get into that. Next Sunday, because Wednesday, we'll have Wednesday night Bible study. Good night. God bless. I love you all.